For anybody here tonight with children, I'm sure you will agree with me when I say that the stage known as the Terrible Twos is one of the most frustrating stages to navigate as a parent. And I say that tonight having somewhat of an insight because that is my current reality. See, our youngest child, Gideon, has entered that stage of his life. Doesn't seem to matter what you ask him to do because he always wants to do the opposite of what you've asked him. Gideon, can you do this? No, Daddy, I don't want to do that. Gideon, can you eat your dinner, please? No, Daddy, I don't want to eat my dinner. Gideon, it's time for bed. No, Daddy, it's not time for bed. When my wife and I first thought about having children, I don't think either of us had in mind that one day we would find ourselves at the mercy of a two-year-old with a very strong will. And such a truth may cause you to ask, and it will, where does he get it from? Is it from you, or is it from the wife? Well, the wife's not here tonight, so I'm going to say it's from her. She'd tell you she was here, of course, that I'm just so obedient. I do everything that I'm told, when I'm told to do it, as all husbands do. But thinking about our current situation, how can both Rebecca and I remain positive? The positive is that you speak to other parents who have walked our path before They will tell you it's just a phase. You just need to hold on for a little bit longer because it will pass. And yet whenever I look around, even tonight, at the rapid decline that there is in society, I think it will be fair to say that there are many who have never left that stage. Never grown out of the terrible two spheres. And I say that because it doesn't matter what it is, the response is always the same. I know best. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm in control of my own destiny, and I can be whatever I want to be. I can do whatever I want to do, and I can believe whatever I want to believe. And whether it's a simple two-year-old child, a 42-year-old man, woman, ultimately we see the same attitude behind it all, well, I am right and you're wrong. Or my way is better than your way. sad thing is that media, popular culture, doing everything that they can to promote this kind of attitude. You find it in the lyrics of popular songs. It's in many self-help books, coaching seminars, where you go and you pay an extortionate amount of money where someone stands at the front and they relay the success that they've had in life and they'll tell you how they became successful. You examine what I've said tonight and you compare it with what God's Word says and what do we find? We find that the scriptures, they are at absolute odds with the worldview. I want you to read with me the verse in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25. It's going to be our text tonight. It says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Second time that Solomon uses these same words. Because you find the exact same statement used in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. And the fact that this statement is repeated, it's not something that should go unnoticed. When God says something once, it's surely worth our attention. But when he says something twice, it's really saying, sit up and listen, I have something important to tell you. And the message here in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25, really it is a very simple message. Because it's highlighting for us the importance of a person's life. Particularly, it's speaking with respect to the direction in which that person is going. And there are so many tonight who are in danger of going the wrong way. In danger of going along that wrong path. 
And tonight I want to make it personal to you all here. I want to ask the question to each and every one of you, which way are you going? Which way are you going? That's really going to be our subject tonight. That's going to be the question. And I want you to think about right throughout this message, which way are you going? Three very simple thoughts that I want to leave with you. First thing we see in Proverbs 16, it's man's determination to choose his own way. Because look at how verse 25 begins. It says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. And this verse, it speaks here about a way, and that word way can be interpreted in a number of different ways. You can think about it as a road, or a path, or a a journey. And you think about this word, this verse in such terms, and what Solomon here is doing, he's speaking about a person's course of life. As we think about this way, we think about this journey tonight, it's important to point out that Solomon's not speaking about a physical journey. Yes, there's a physical aspect to it, but he's speaking here about being on a spiritual journey, that spiritual journey that we're all on. And you might be here tonight and you might think otherwise, well, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. Don't believe in anything. Don't have any spiritual beliefs. Well, maybe you're agnostic. Maybe you're a humanist. Maybe you're one of the many other philosophies. There's so many philosophies out there today. I don't have any spiritual belief in God. That's what you're telling me. Can't get away from the fact tonight that you've made a conscious decision to believe in that system. Even if you say to me tonight, well, I don't actually believe in anything. Nothing's real. You're still showing a belief in something. It's a belief in nothing, but it's a belief in something. You see, whatever way you term it tonight, mankind cannot get away from the fact that we are religious by nature. You look again at the words of verse 25. Solomon makes reference to this way, and he says it is one that seemeth right. In other words, it appears to be the proper way to go. It's pleasing to you. It's, there's confidence that it's the best path for you. But note here the clear lack of certainty in verse 25, because it tells us it only seemeth right. There's no certainty with that way. You turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, just over a few books. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, and read really what Jeremiah says about man's determination here. Jeremiah 10, 23, he says, O Lord, I know, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And so unlike in Proverbs 16 and 25 here, there's certainty in Jeremiah's words. He's saying, Lord, I'm certain. That man's own ways are not good for himself. And how can Jeremiah be certain here? He can be certain because he realizes that man's conscience has been warped by sin. Man's conscience doesn't know the difference between what is truly right and what is wrong. Apostle Paul reminds us of that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. He tells us that we're dead in trespasses and sins. Think of what he says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. It says the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law, neither indeed can be. And that's the true mindset tonight of sinful man. Sinful man's against God. 
Sinful man displays a hatred toward God. He possesses that mind which follows after self. And without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you tonight that sinful man cannot be in heaven. What's the result tonight of those who are trusting in themselves, living in sin, trusting in their own conscience, really, with respect to what is right? A number of things I want you to see. They're blind to their own faults. Go back to Proverbs chapter 16 and read what it says in verse 2. It says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. To sinful man, all that he does outwardly is good in his own eyes. And he doesn't realize that he's on the wrong path here. But look what the Lord says, because the Lord tells us here that he weigheth the spirits. He examines a person's true motives, a person's true thoughts. He truly knows what lies within. You think of those words, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. He sees everything tonight. He sees our hearts. Blind to their own faults. But those trusting in their own conscience tonight, they believe that they are following God's way. The Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6, just over a few pages, it says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And how often do you hear something similar from Sadie today? Well, I'm a good person. And I'm better than he or she is. And yes, I'll admit to you tonight I've sinned in my life. But you know what? I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't robbed anybody. I haven't done anything horrible like that. And therefore, I'm not going to go to hell because hell's only for people like that. Moreover, look at all the good things that I've done in my life. And surely God will be happy with that. Surely that will be enough to get me to heaven. And I believe that I'm going the right way tonight. You turn over to Luke chapter 18. We find an example there of one who displays a similar kind of attitude. If you know your Bible well, you know where I'm going to. Luke chapter 18. And I want you to read here with me verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, we've a man is described as a Pharisee and says here, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee. That I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And in effect, what this Pharisee, this religious man, what he is saying here is this. God, look at how good I am. Man's pride has blinded him. No idea of the danger that is any believes his own good works are going to be enough to get him to heaven, will be enough to save him. He doesn't think he needs to repent of sin. He's failed to see the need of God's grace in his life. And because of this, he felt he was doing enough. And he was determined to do things his own way. Maybe that's you tonight. I don't know. Like the Pharisee tonight, I want to tell you you're in the most dangerous place possible. The Bible shows we're to be kind the Bible tells us, yes, to do those things, but kindness that is absent from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in your heart will never be able to save your soul. Never be able to deal with your sin. 
No amount of good works will see you in heaven tonight. That's what I'm saying. And that's what we go on to read here because there's another man in verse 13 and 14, this man who's described as a publican. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. See, unlike this Pharisee, the publican realized something. He realized that without the grace of God in his life, he would never enter heaven. He understood that salvation can only come about through a person's repenting of sin. Totally incapable of saving himself. It needs to be the case for any tonight without Christ. Going your own way. I want to tell you tonight, love your soul that without repentance of sin, without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll never be in heaven. It's man's determination to choose his own way. But secondly, tonight I want you to see man's delusion that his way is the right way. And we've, trust, we've touched on that briefly, but I want to spend some more time looking at it in detail because there are many delusions that flow out of man's own determination. Man believing that his path is the right path, that he's going the right way. He allows himself to be deceived to think it's going to bring him to heaven at the end. And sadly, that's true for many people today. How often is it you're maybe speaking to somebody, maybe on the doors, maybe you're out and you're trying to witness to somebody and you're sharing the gospel with them, you're telling them about their need for Christ, and what do they say to you? That's fine. You can do things your way, I can do things my way, we'll just follow our own walks. They're all going to lead to heaven at the end of the day. That's what they're really saying. It doesn't matter what way you choose because all roads lead to heaven. The sad reality is that they're supposed it right way. It's actually leading them further and further away from Christ and eternal life. And man's delusion can take many forms. There's a delusion tonight because many are relying on their religious tradition. What I mean by that is there are many who go to church. Many who identify with some religious label and maybe that's you tonight, I don't know. That's what they're relying on to get them to heaven. If you turn with me to John chapter 4. We see a wonderful example of an individual who behaved this way. It's a woman at the well in Sychar. John 4 tells us she was a sinner. And she thought she was on the right path. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes along and he exposes her sin. Because read what it says in verses 16 down to 18. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said, well, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. So very obviously, the woman here was living a life of immorality. But notice Christ's response then to her in verse 20. Or her response to Christ, sorry. She says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. 
And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And the mountain here that's in view, it's Mount Gerizim. That's the place where the Samaritan temple stood. And in making reference to this place, the woman is in effect saying that all that mattered is that she was worshipping in the temple and she was following after the tradition of her fathers. And by doing that, she had guaranteed herself eternal life. She could live her sinful lifestyle so long as she followed after those traditions when the reality is all she was doing was deceiving herself. I don't say that tonight from a place of judgment. I don't, because I lived many years in that kind of lifestyle. Many years basing my hope of salvation on eternal life, on a religion that I was following, when the truth was I was only deluding myself. I was trapped in a religious system that was telling me that if I just worked hard enough, if I was just good enough, if I did my best... But there was never a change in my attitude towards sin or toward the Lord. And therefore all I'm asking tonight is that you be honest with yourself. You ask yourself questions. Am I actually saved tonight? Have I truly repented of my sin? Has there been a work done in my heart? Or am I basing my salvation upon tradition, upon that title free Presbyterian? Let's make it personal. If you're basing your salvation on some tradition, you need to get off that path because it will never save your soul. And the same applies tonight if you're here and you're depending upon heaven because your parents are saved. Your children are saved, whatever way you want to put it. Well, my mom and dad's saved, so that means I'm going to go to heaven. We can't get separated. No, unless you personally come to Christ with that repentant heart, seeking him for forgiveness, then I want to tell you from God's word, you'll never be in the heaven that your parents are going to. Salvation is personal to each and every one of us. A reliance upon religious tradition, but it's a reliance upon one's own arrogance as well. Second Kings chapter 5, we read about a man called Naaman. Uh, Naaman, he was the leader of the Syrian army, but it tells us he suffered from leprosy. One day, a young Israelite maid, she was a servant in his household, she spoke to Naaman about a prophet called Elisha. Elisha, who lived in Samaria, and she said, he'll be able to heal you of your leprosy. And so off goes Naaman to find Elisha. He goes to the house, knocks the door, and Elisha sends a servant to greet Naaman. If you want to be cured of your leprosy, just go down to the River Jordan and wash yourself there seven times. And how do you think Naaman reacted to that? Well, the Bible tells us he was outraged. It's an unwritten law that Elisha should have come to the door to greet his guest. And so in sending a messenger, Naaman was greatly offended. Naaman said to the messenger, why should I have to wash in the River Jordan? It's filthy, it's disgusting. I have so many other rivers that I wash in every day back home and they're much cleaner. Why have I wasted my time coming here? Because to Naaman, the command Elisha gave was too simple. It was too humiliating for someone of his stature. And Naaman is guilty again of pride. It's an awful sin, pride. He thought he knew better than God. And it was only when he does, as instructed, goes down to the River Jordan, washes himself seven times, that that leprosy was cured. And leprosy, of course, in the Bible, it is a picture of sin. It's a picture of uncleanness, separation, from God. 
And Naaman here represents the view of many in the world today. Because the simplicity of the gospel, it's an offense to many. Many are offended that you would even dare call them a sinner. Many don't want to go the way that God has prescribed through Jesus Christ. They want to go their own way. And you share the gospel with them. And the reply that comes back is, well, why can't I have my sins and go to heaven? Why can't I have them forgiven another way? I don't want to part with my sin, but I still want to go to heaven at the end of the day. It's the best of both worlds. And only when a person humbles himself before the Lord, realizing that salvation is a work of Christ alone, can they ever hope to have their sin forgiven. It's a reliance upon religious tradition, upon one's own arrogance, but there's also then a reliance upon your sincere attitude. Many today, living in open sin, we see it all around us, boasting about their lifestyle choices, wearing it as a badge of honor, but it's equally true that there are those today And they've chosen to live their life, and it's one out of genuine sincerity. And they believe with all their heart what they're they're doing is right. They aren't actively running after sin. They're not doing everything in their power to destroy themselves. Yet the reality tonight is the same as the individual living in open sin. That sincerity is misplaced. You can be the most sincere and the most genuine person in the world, but to never personally have come to that saving knowledge of Christ, it's going to do nothing to excuse your sin when you stand before the Lord on that great judgment day. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 22, let me read those verses to you. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And in essence, what they're saying is, Lord, we've been sincere. And we've done many great things in your name. And you know how Christ responds to them in verse 23. It's one of the most horrific things you can read. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. To base your hope of eternal life upon sincerity and to die in that same condition will result in you going to hell for all eternity. One final thought very quickly and we have here in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25. Man's destination. Unless he chooses the right path. Because look at how verse 25 ends. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And you notice here that Solomon refers to the ways of death. It's plural. First half of the verse, he speaks about a way that is right, that is singular. And therefore, from switching from the singular to the plural, there's something very simple that I want, you to, don't want to highlight to you, but something very important as well. He's saying that each man might have his own way that he feels is the right way. But the reality is that there are many wrong ways that will lead to a person's death. Reference to death in verse 25, it's not physical, it's not natural death. Yes, we're going to die someday, but again, it's eternal death, it's it's spiritual death. It might come as a surprise to somebody here tonight, but death will not end it. How often do you see tragedies and someone struggling and they think the death's going to end it, but it'll not end it. 
Yes, you die physically, your body goes into the ground, but your soul departs that body and it goes to its final resting place for all eternity. And the Bible says tonight, if you're saved, then that soul will go to heaven for all eternity. But if you die in your sin, the Bible tells us that you'll go to hell for all eternity. Your soul will reside there forever and it will never escape. The thing is that we deserve it. Wages of sin is death. What we've earned is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you know, I think it will be fair tonight to say this, that nobody starts out in life with an ambition to end up in hell. But for many tonight, that's the reality that they're facing because of the choices that they're choosing to live, the way they're choosing to live. They've been deceived by one of the greatest lies that has ever been told. Don't worry about it. Just do this and everything will be okay. And that's the lie the devil told Eve, wasn't it, in Genesis chapter 3, as he came disguised as that serpent. He said, eat that fruit and you become like God. You're familiar with that passage. You read on and you find out she didn't become like God. That disobedience led to a fall in sin, banishment from the presence of God, and the devil, he hid the outcome, the actual outcome of what that sin would bring. And he does the exact same thing today, leading many people to hell with that very same lie. The path you're on tonight's the right path. Don't listen to what others have to say. Don't listen to the gospel. You don't need Christ. You don't need the Lord. You can save yourself. Just do what you're doing. It'll be okay. I guarantee it. And the sad thing is, for many tonight who are in hell, that reality has come too late for them, and there's nothing they can do to change it. There's absolutely no hope for anyone tonight in hell. Listen to the words of Matthew chapter 7. In verses 13 and 14, as we bring things to a close. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And these familiar words present us with two gates tonight. There's a straight gate, there's a wide gate, there's two paths a broad way, there's a narrow way. And the lesson that is being taught very simply is that only one of these two will lead you to eternal life in heaven. And it is that one described here as being straight with respect to its entrance, narrow regarding its path. And yet Matthew tells us there are so few who want to enter that way. They have their own way. It's the way I refer to as the broad way. It's the wide gate. And yet Matthew tells us here that it leads to destruction. And the question that I leave with you is the question that I asked at the start. Which way are you going? Are you on that broad way tonight? Are you on that narrow way? Because I trust and pray that all here can say they're on the narrow way. When you leave this world, you're going to go through that straight gate which leads to eternal life. To die in your sin tonight, to enter in that wide gate will lead to eternal damnation. There's one here tonight and the Lord's been speaking to you maybe, I don't know. 
You're getting saved. Don't let another Sunday night pass by. You've sat maybe here for years, heard gospel message after gospel message, and you've thought about it, but you've walked out those doors, and that's the last thought you've given to it. Tonight could be your last opportunity to get saved. It's a reality that every single one of us have to face tonight. Why not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? Why not come to the one that John describes as the way, the truth, and the life? There are many wrong pathways tonight. And those pathways will lead you straight to hell. And therefore be absolutely certain that you're on the right pathway. That pathway that leads to Jesus Christ and the eternal life in heaven. Remember those words here as we finish. Proverbs 16, 25. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. May God write that word upon your heart. If you're not saved, may the Lord speak to you tonight. And may you leave this house tonight trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Just like to say in closing, the hymn 260. Hymn 260, page 281. I want to thank Greg for bringing that faithful and solemn word to us tonight. <clears throat> May God indeed write it upon our hearts that we would tread the right path that leads to life everlasting. The hymn 260. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the, at the Saviour and life more abundant and free. And we'll stand together to sing this hymn after the introduction, please.
Our Father in heaven, we do thank thee for answered prayer. We thank thee for the help that has been given in this service. We thank thee, Lord, for the message that thou didst bring to our hearts this evening. The solemn reality of how the devil can creep in and deceive us into thinking that the path in where we're going is right, but yet the end are the ways of death and destruction and damnation. And Lord, we do pray for everyone in this gathering. May they be on the right path. May they be trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who says in his word that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh unto the Father but by him. Lord, we pray that we would gaze upon Christ as that hymn exhorts us to look away from everything else, from man's prosperity and from every other religion, but to turn our eyes upon Jesus. O Lord, we pray that our eyes would be fixed upon thee, that we would look upon thee in faith and trust in thy finished work and find in thee life eternal. We pray that, Lord, thou wouldst part us now in thy fear and favour. And we pray that thou grant us travelling mercies in our separate ways home. And we pray that thou wouldst fill us all with thy Holy Spirit in the week that lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.